Hello and welcome to episode two of the MDDDS podcast. This is Dr. Kyle Fagala, and I'm excited that tonight we are kicking off a five-week look at the gospel. We're calling this The Gospel You Missed in Youth Group. It's not to say that you didn't have a good youth group experience. You may have had a great one. Uh, but it is to say that there are things about the gospel, the most central idea of Christianity, that maybe we don't know as well as we should. And so we want to look at that. We're going to start with a lesson tonight called Who is God? And then next week we're going to look at Who am I? Followed by Who is Jesus? What is faith? And the last question, Is death the end? I promise you this will be very thought-provoking. It's the sort of thing that every Christian needs to know. And if you're not a Christian, I think it is basically the thing that you should first understand before deciding whether or not you also believe. And so you can join us over the next five weeks, either by podcast or ideally in person. We meet every Monday night at 7 p.m. in my home in Germantown, Tennessee. You can find us on Facebook. And without further ado, let's jump into the lesson. All right, so if you're listening, what you missed was we just did highs and lows. But that is premium content only. You have to show up for that. Um, it was great. Um, so lots of talk about dogs and other things and fences and things. It was great. Um, so we're going to jump into this, uh, the gospel you missed in youth group. And uh, I would just say, like, if you loved your youth group and you got a good gospel message from that, um, I'm not trying to be critical of youth groups. Uh, I help with youth group and love my youth minister. And I love the youth ministers at Highland and everything. Um, it does seem, though, that there are teenagers kind of coming out of high school and even people coming out of college that if you asked them kind of what's the gospel, I don't know kind of what the answer would be that they would give. And even just in the church, I think it kind of carries through to where we have, you know, four Sundays in a row and the, the gospel isn't really mentioned in any sense, which is kind of weird since that's like the key thing. It'd be kind of like if you had like a football group and you never mentioned football, it's sort of what's the point, I guess. Um, or maybe you just talked about the jerseys and color of the helmets, but you didn't actually talk about the game. So it seems a little weird to me. So what I want to do is start by asking you guys, and I'm going to have you write it down on, I guess on the back of your cover sheet, is I want you to come up with a definition of the gospel. Uh, or you can also look at it as a definition of the good news. So I'm going to give you like 30, 40 seconds to do that. I'm going to pause the podcast so you don't have to listen to 30 to 45 seconds. But you can pause it out there if you want to come up with a definition of the gospel, and then we'll kind of share those. Okay, so lots of good work there. Uh, hopefully you come up with a, an answer. Uh, Will, what is your kind of definition of the gospel, if you don't mind sharing? I can't remember anything, but I said the gospel is the good news that our Father provided us a way through His Son to spend eternity in heaven. Yep. All right, so the Father provided a way through His Son to spend eternity in heaven. That's great. Anna, what do you got over there? Okay, so I'm still writing it. That looks too long. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I kept thinking of other things I wanted to add to it. I just have the gospel is the good news that although we're all sinners separated from God by our sin, that God loves us so much that even in this fallen state, he sent his son to save us from that sin so we could live eternally with him. All right, it was good. It was good. Ryan, what do you got? I put uh Christ came as the perfect sacrifice for us while we were still sinners and undeserving of grace. And uh, he also rose beating death and giving us eternal life. That's great. And Jordan, what do you got? Um, since humanity fell into sin, God ordained his son as the one to come to earth, die and rise again to redeem us and create a way for us to be with one with him again. That's great. 
Um, I like the B1 with him again part. It's good stuff. Well, those are all good answers. Uh, I don't think that we need to do this. Um, we're just going to take the next five weeks off. It's kind of like you, you take like a little clep test and you're, you're out. Um, mine, I'm about to teach on like a really you know, detailed definition. I feel like John 3.16 probably does it as well as anything. So for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a pretty good summary. Um, so those were great. Those were really good answers. So maybe y'all had a good youth group, and maybe you learned the gospel in youth group. Um, I'm going to read a couple things uh, just about the gospel, and then we'll kind of get down into tonight's lesson, which is who is God. But uh, Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, uh, first to the Jew, then the Gentile. And then also we're taking basically the idea of all these lessons. So we're going to look at who is God, who am I, who is Jesus, what is faith, and then is death the end. This is kind of like the four lessons on the gospel, and it really comes from this verse, this collection of verses in Romans 3, 21 through 26. And so it is a kind of a long one, but I'm going to read it. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and, and this is kind of the best part, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Um, another thing, kind of as a summary, this is all from a David Platt sermon. If you don't ever listen to David Platt, uh, he spent, I don't know, like a decade preaching at a church, and now he, I think, supports like a Baptist mission thing. Uh, but he's a great preacher. He's also got a very similar name to David Flat, so David really likes David Platt. But anyway, he kind of gave this as his definition. So there's a sermon he did, and he asked everyone to kind of give a, a definition. He kind of came up with this, and it's imperfect, but it's, it's pretty pretty good. So the gospel is the good news that the just and gracious God of the universe has looked upon hopelessly sinful people and sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin in the resurrection so that all who have faith in him will be reconciled to God forever. So bits and pieces of all of our definitions, and maybe he summarized it a little bit uh, more gracefully, but good stuff. Um, all right, so we will jump into who is God and talk about that tonight. And so I guess for me, the first thing I think of when I think of God is I think like the powerful being that exists out of our dimension, I guess, that created all this. Uh, so like last night I went outside and I think anytime we do one of these like concerts, I start to feel like kind of emotional. There's like both this like sense of accomplishment and also just like kind of being like kind of emotionally centered on God and things like that. And then maybe I'm just tired. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm like more emotional when I'm tired. But I just kind of went outside and just like looked up at the sky and was just kind of like just thinking about how big God is and how all this is created. And then I'm also kind of reminded that there are people who believe that this all just kind of happened randomly, which is always kind of an interesting thought. I'm just looking at the extent of it. And I was looking at these homes that are being built and I was just thinking like all the human effort that goes into like building these homes and it's like nothing. It's like not even a blip on a radar compared to like the universe that we can even see, you know? So there's so much beyond that. And just kind of thinking of how, how big God is. Um, that's kind of more like the 10,000 foot view of God. And so we're gonna kind of get down into 
maybe a, a tighter view of God, and obviously we'll never know everything, but kind of based on what the Bible tells us, we want to ask this question, who is God? And maybe you know all these things, and maybe you'll learn something new or be reminded of something. I think what's really great about this is that the Scripture is here. So it's not just like a, here's what we're saying about God. The hope is, is that we're trying to, to, to prove what we can about God's nature and who He is based on what the Bible tells us. So we'll jump into that, and there's some blanks for you guys to fill out. So number one, uh, we say that God is righteous, and so we would say that God is righteous must be true to his nature. So if God is righteous, it has to be true to his nature. Because he is by nature holy, that's the first blank, holy, because of that, he must punish sin. So if God is holy, um, he has to punish sin. He can't be in the presence of sin if, if he is holy. Um, the next one is because he is by nature loving, he must save sinners. Okay? And then because he is righteous, he must do both. And we'll sort of talk about this. this is kind of the same thing that we'll sort of come back again. Is this sort of what we'll call, call the tension of the gospel later. But that, that God, it, it's sort of a conundrum in some sense. That God is both just and that he is holy. He can't be in the presence of sin. Okay, He's, he's holy, perfectly holy. But he's also loving. He's also merciful. And so he has to find a way to, in his righteousness to do both. And so that is kind of like, the, I guess, the great challenge theologically. All right, so Romans 11, 22, I'll read that. And then the next will be James 4, and Jordan, you'll take that. So Romans eleven twenty two, Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will all be cut off. All right, and then James four twelve. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay. So let's jump on into God is holy. That's what that blank is. And then, Ryan, you're going to read 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. <clears throat> be just as he who called you is holy. So be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Okay, so he's definitely holy. It says it, yeah. All right, so holy, you may know this, but it just means to be set apart, um, so to be different. Kind of like we think of like, I hear a baby crying. Um, so we think of kind of like the holy of holies, like in the old uh, temple, uh, as being kind of set apart, kind of being different, and it's in a sense to represent God and the purity of that, and the idea that priests would kind of cleanse themselves before they go in there, so that they could be in the presence of God. And so that same like Old Testament principle, even though everything in the Old Testament is sort of like an imperfect ref reflection of what Jesus is or what God is, it kind of kind of harkens or it points towards uh, kind of the truth of what we'll be like one day when we're in the presence of God, when we're made you know, glorified and we're fully holy in His presence. Um, so it says here that God's holiness is His perfect moral excellence. This means that God is the standard for moral purity. All right, so we're going to read a few verses about that. Uh, Will will just move on to you and pick up with Anna. But uh, Leviticus twenty twenty six. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. All right, and then Psalm 25, 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. And then on into... Psalm 
proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. All right, so he's the standard for moral purity. We'll talk about this in a, in a different lesson coming up, but just the idea that morality, just in any sense, uh, we, we would argue that there is a certain thing as objective morality. It's the idea that there's uh, a sense of what's right or wrong within all of us that is, uh, if, if things are just random, and if, if morality is just a social construct, which is what you'd have to say if you're an atheist, um, it doesn't really stand the test. Uh, because there is a morality that exists within us that we would all accept um, is, is sort of God-given, that it's, it's created by someone that's outside of things um, and outside of time. But that'll be a discussion for later. Um, okay, so, so this means that God is the standard for moral purity, which we just talked about. He's also perfectly free from all sin. So Job 34, 10 through 12. So listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do evil, from Almighty to do wrong. He repays everyone for what they have done. He brings on them what their conduct deserves. It is unthinkable that God would do wrong, that the Almighty would pervert justice. Okay. And then on into, let's see, Psalm 5-4. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. All right. Then we're going to give Habakkuk some love. Uh, Habakkuk 1.13, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? All right, and then on to Psalms 50, sorry, 45.7. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All right, and then lastly, Deuteronomy twelve thirty one. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. Right. Okay, so a lot to kind of get at, and a lot of Old Testament ideas. Um, and I guess one thing you could say about when you look at the Old Testament, when you look at the New Testament... Um, and these are complex ideas is that, uh, you know, these ideas of like the gods of that time, you know, the gods of today are things like, you know, pride and materialism and sex and all those sort of things, money, uh, you know, possessions, whatever. Um, the gods of that time were similar things, right? But there were crazy things too, like, you know, sacrificing your son or whatever other crazy things that the gods would demand of people. Um, and, God, and God was not about that then, and he's not about that now. Um, and so I think, again, morality starts and ends with God. So moving on to the next thing, God is love. And so we'll start with 1 John 4, 8, and 16. I think that's Will. Yeah. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Yep. Great verses. And then, isn't it funny that I end up with John 3.16? I've already read it. Um, all right, so then into this little section, God's love. We're going to look at a couple, uh, four, four different things about God's love. God's love is self-giving, which means that he gives sacrificially for our benefit. So John 3.16 
I guess the world's most popular Bible verse. Um, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Pretty good gospel summary. Then the next idea that God's love is affectionate, which means that his love is tender and it's deeply personal. So Isaiah 40, 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a sweet idea. I always like the shepherd uh, theme. And then God's love is caring. Uh, he cares about our well-being. So 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's great. Um, and then James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. It does not change like shifting shadows. So every good and perfect gift is from above, which is great. Um, and then lastly, uh, God's love is active. Uh, his love drives uh, us to action. So 1 John 4.10, which is me. Um, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay, so a lot to take in. And I know it's kind of like, I don't know, it almost feels like you're in like histology class and they just keep telling you like little things about something. Um, so some of this is it's, it's stuff to go back and kind of read yourself and kind of reflect on. Um, also, if you're growing up in the church, a lot of this is sort of like, well, yeah, like, you know, we, we know that, like we get that. Um, and it, it also sounds like describing someone who's really awesome, which is kind of the point. Um, but uh, I feel like as a husband, I should do well to, to read about this love section and, and be more self-giving, affectionate, caring, and active. Um, I think also there's just a reality, at least for me, that uh, as someone who gets just so overwhelmed with work and life, to kind of miss this about God or to attribute the good things in life or as it says the good and perfect things, the gifts of life to myself or my own actions. When again, like as I look up in the night sky and I see all this and I consider that it's all been created by God, that I've been given life by God, that it's silly to act like it comes from me. It's, it's almost like a parent who takes their kid to like a fair and lets them play a game and they win like a big stuffed animal thinking they like earned it in a way and it's like well you know maybe you randomly dropped a little ping pong ball on the little milk jug but I made sure that that happened you know and so I think our whole life is is forgetting that God is the one that sustains us that originally created us but sustains us and has a greater plan for us and to keep those things in mind so this kind of comes down to the crux of all this is and we will come back to this throughout this whole thing but I think it's a really great thing to understand better but it's what we call the tension of the gospel so tension is the blank there and uh it's this question of how can holiness and love justice and grace come together in god uh, so our last verse for tonight i know there's been a lot but proverbs seventeen fifteen. if you want to read that acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent the lord detests them both right and I think that's like, and it, it will it will kind of come up in this quote, which is just an awesome quote. It's long, but it's great. Is this idea that inherent in the idea of, well, how could God send sinners to hell is the assumption that we're good people. Um, it's the assumption that either we're not sinners or that 
that sin isn't deserving of judgment. Um, and if we call God a perfect judge and we're guilty, then he wouldn't be a perfect judge to say, well, you know what, it's okay, it's no big deal. Especially if there wasn't some way to reckon it, to make it okay, to atone for it. And so the Lord detests acquitting the guilty, the guilty deserve punishment, um, and he also detests condemning the innocent. And so he's a just, you know, it's like if you're going to have a judge, that's what you would want, right? You'd want somebody that wants to uphold the innocent and wants to condemn the guilty. Um, so this question is, how can God love us when we deserve his judgment? And that's really the crux of the gospel. And I'm just going to read this. This is David Platt again. This is, I've heard this quote probably 15 times since I started being around David Flat. It's a good one. But um, So the question our culture asks is, God, how can you punish sinners? God, how can you let people go to hell? I mean, that's like a really you know, really central question. And, and what we kind of do these days is like we adopt this idea that, well, there's probably not a hell or that maybe that people will get a second chance or, eh, you know, maybe like there's not actually a hell that's like literal, but maybe there's like a point of separation and then eventually everyone's going to go back to him. I mean, really popular preachers are, are all about that concept. Um, so this question, God, how can you let people go to hell? Uh, we point the finger at his character, question how he could do that. The Bible does just the opposite. It's because the Bible has a God-centered worldview and we have a man-centered worldview. The Bible is not asking how God can punish sinners. The Bible is asking how in the world can God let rebels into heaven? I love that line. How can God let rebels into heaven? Um, we're not talking about Ole Miss. Okay, we could, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, bad joke. All right, how can God maintain his glory and let those who have belittled his glory into heaven? This is the tension with which the gospel confronts us. How can God show all of his attributes we just talked about his holiness and his mercy, his wrath and his love, his justice and his grace. How can he show all of those things? The answer is the just and gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people and sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin in the resurrection. Jesus is the only way this tension is revealed. There is no other religious system, no other religious philosophy that can bring that tension together that can relieve this tension. Only Jesus Christ can do this. And how can he do that? Um, so a lot of cool statements in there, a lot of really powerful ideas. Um, I think the one that sticks out to me is this difference between a God-centered worldview and a man-centered wor worldview or a human-centered wor worldview. Um, do you agree that our culture is more uh, you know, man-centered than God-centered? I think, right? Yeah. I think our church is like in a lot of ways like I think again it's like it's the kids playing in a game that their parents have set up and they, they don't give their parents any credit I mean that's a an imperfect metaphor but it's like we, we're kind of like playing at church sometimes and forget that it's God is sort of like the focus or the point of it um, yeah and I mean we're all imperfect in different ways but it's I don't know um, I think we approach so many things in life from that point of view of like kind of what's in it for me even even like the ways that we pray are kind of more like wish lists and like maybe being thankful for things or I don't know, and I'm as guilty of that as anybody um, I don't know there's just a lot of I think that's maybe the big twist that that could change the church church most dramatically is is really having a God-centered worldview um, and that it sort of informs everything um, so I really like that. You can go read it over later. It's one of my favorite quotes. Um, and then your last blank here is that, uh, as we will see over the coming weeks, the answer to this question is found at the foot of the cross. 
It is a beautiful answer worthy of the name gospel. So the word there is gospel at the end. Um, so that's just kind of like the first little intro into all this. Um, I'm really excited to get through the rest of it. I feel like it's the sort of thing too that you can kind of start with someone. It's maybe a little bit overwhelming. I don't know if it's like the first thing you'd want to like start with someone that doesn't know anything. <laughs> you might want to start with like with Book of Mark or Matthew or something like that. But um, I think that we we have to understand better who is God before we can understand. You know, the next week's question is is who we are. Who is Jesus? What is faith? Is death the end? And so I think understanding God first is really important. And so anyway. I think what I'll do is I'm going to turn this off. We'll have a little discussion and uh, kind of see what you guys want to talk about. So see ya to all you guys out there. So what you didn't hear there was a lot of great discussion that we had, probably about 20 minutes of discussion. And I chose to pause the podcast just simply because I didn't want to stifle the discussion. And so if it's something that you want to be a part of, you're going to have to come and be a part of it, I guess, in person. Um, but I did want to kind of highlight a few of the things that were shared that I thought were too good not to share with you, and so maybe a summary of that discussion. Um, and so I think it was Jordan that mentioned just the idea, kind of like what stood out to you was the question from all this discussion. It was just the idea for her that God is unchanging. So as we study these things about who is God, these are things that have not changed since the beginning of time. Um, and Whereas we think about even a character in a book and how there's an arc to his or her story or like uh, even myself, like how I have changed throughout uh, my life, 33 years or so. There are characteristics that I once had that I now no longer have uh, that you could say of God that his characteristics have never changed, that he has always been holy, that he's always been love. And that's a, that's a pretty beautiful idea. And along with that, he defines those characteristics. And so he's the definition of love. And so love doesn't change. And even though our culture may try and redefine what love means, or that even among relationships, we try and change what love means or what it looks like, or I, I feel that love is this, or I feel that love is that, those are not really accurate or objective statements. Whereas God defines love and who God is, that is what love is. And that doesn't change. Uh, good also doesn't change. Morality is not a, sub- a subjective thing. It's an objective thing. And morality begins and ends with God himself. And so God's holiness, God's uh, set-apartness, as it were, um, he sets a standard for morality. And uh, also, we had this discussion on the idea that it starts to feel like uh, we as people think that we can be saved based on our good works or the good things that we do. Um, which is sort of idiotic in a sense. It's prideful, but it also supposes that the good things that we do, that, that they can almost like the Tower of Babel, that it can kind of build us up to a level where we're even with God, and it's just not true. And the only thing that can actually connect us and the way that we're separated from God, the only thing that can connect us is, is the Son, is Jesus. The last thing we discussed, I believe Will brought this up, was that uh, we have a man-centered worldview. So this David Platt quote about how we should have a God-centered worldview like the Bible, but most of us have a man-centered worldview. Uh, We also preach that to people. And so we approach evangelism or maybe talking to our friends that don't know Jesus and don't know the Bible. We we approach it from a man-centered point of view. It's easier to say, you know, come to church. It's a great place. There's a lot of people like you. You'll make some good relationships. Maybe if you have children, there's a lot of really good programs. There's a lot of really good ways for you to get plugged in. And even there may be good deeds that you can do. You can serve at the soup kitchen. You can do these good things. Uh, but those are all man-centered worldviews. Uh, those are all you know, 
temporal things, and rather we should have a God-centered worldview. The point of church is to, yeah, have a community to fellowship, but it's also to seek a greater understanding of the one who created all of this, the one that exists outside of time and space, <clears throat> the one who is holy, the one who is love, uh, and that being God. And so a lot of good discussion, a lot better discussion than I could possibly summarize it. Um, and that will be the end for tonight of uh, this discussion on who is God. Very excited to continue on with this look at the gospel, the gospel you missed in youth group. Next week we'll be off for Labor Day, so enjoy Labor Day. But we'll be back the Monday after that, that's September 11th, and that will be with a study on who am I. And so we'll look at the idea that we are sinners separated from a holy God and what that means and what our reaction should be. And so to you out there, uh, my prayer is just that you're having a good week. Um, I pray that you're feeling peace from God and that your studies are going well and that your tests are going well. And just ask that that would continue in that way and that we hope to see you sometime here at MDDDS. And so until next time, we'll see you. Have a great week.